0: you're about to enter seventh heaven if you like this pod then you can show your support by rating us five stars and hitting that little subscribe button to help us climb the pod rankings and spread the sevens gospel if you're looking for extra content you can go to our youtube page or our social channels twitter and instagram our handle at seventh heaven pod again like subscribe share and we hope you enjoy the episode Welcome back once again to your celestial one stop shop for all things seven. Last week I told you we had enough episodes for a squad to enter a World Series podding event, but this is episode 14, meaning that were all our audio messages in a bottle to wash upon the shores of the South Pacific, then they'd be able to play a little seven on seven. However, should that beach belong to the islands of Fiji and the locals fancied a run, then they'd be up against a nation inspired by today's guest and Seven's deity, Ben Ryan, who steered those islands of Davids to Rio Gold against the Rugby Goliaths back in 2016 and today, steps into the clouds of myself, Burnsy, Mitch and Chip. This ain't the Corona cast. This ain't the lockdown. Listen along, prepare to be elevated to a higher state of rugby consciousness, because this is 7th Heaven.
1: Excellent, excellent, Bernsie. Very good. Painting the picture nicely there. <laughs>
2: There's yeah, Island there. Discs theme to 7th Heaven. Copyright pattern pended. Enjoyed that, Bernsie. Top. Nice way to start the show.
0: <laughs> As any regular listener will know from our intro music that we... <laughs> We laugh in the face of copyright infringement here in seventh heaven. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what what I, what I find amazing about your intros is that you bang
1: them out like with just first time. You never have to do a rerun. You never have to edit them together. You just bash them out there and then in front of our eyes. It's amazing.
2: Burnsy loves bashing them out in front of our eyes, especially <laughs> on the new format of uh, Skype. Burnsy, is it true that you had stocks in chat roulette?
0: <laughs> it is incorrect. a bit chat
1: roulette, isn't it on this
0: yeah on the topic yeah on the intro mitch mitch is good at cross field kicks chippy you're good at wearing headgear i'm good at intros i mean yeah, you're gonna say that i knew as soon as you start <laughs> speaking i was like he's gonna go and take it you know i've been thinking about retiring it really how do you retire the headgear surely you're so accustomed to wearing it
2: yeah no you uh you just take your ears up instead i do that in training like for contact sessions and it feels fine um, I don't know what it is about wearing the leg I, don't know. I shouldn't really wear it I don't know whatever I've got a gammon just, uh, sewed on the side of my head so we've got to look after the other good one
1: is that where you from it, but- here is.
2: yeah because this one you know the, the collie that one yeah, yeah it doesn't bend so if it gets hit it'll like explode or rip
0: off I'm not keen for either of them really Speaking from a very amateur standpoint, when I played 15s, I wore headgear, but when I played sevens, I didn't because I found it inhibited my peripheral vision. Does, do you not find that the case? I've got blinkers on me.
2: I'm not a It's pretty tight to the side of your buns, like it doesn't come over your eyes. I can see. The main reason I can't see in sevens is because I'm
1: absolutely blowing. <laughs> Surely wearing the headgear marks you out. You want to keep it on, mate. Why? Marks mouth for attackers or defenders? No, just like for the people watching, you know, for the, for the commentators, for the fans.
3: For my mom.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. I found in my pomp that it added a, a layer of subterfuge to your games that players would look at you and they'd underestimate you. And then when you put the afterburners or the afterburnsies on, as I used to call them, um, <laughs> then they'd, they'd, be, they'd be left scratching their head, wishing that they had a head to go on to deceive the opposition like myself do you ever, ever wow. find that chip that people underestimate you because you've got a scrum hat on
2: nah they underestimate you because I'm a bit bigger than them they're like oh he's going to be slower Now I'm like bah, 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 bah. see ya <laughs>
1: <laughs> you've been doing the same sprint sessions at Burnsy then have you that's it <laughs> both about the same speed anyway
2: <laughs> I uh, I, face, I faced our notes on. Um, I did speed up one day. I faced our notes, and he actually gave me uh, like an online tutorial video thing. It was like, it was like it was like invaluable, like because he was one on one, he was actually serious. Um, I know it sounds gimpy, but he proper. He was like, "Oh, try this drill, try this." Uh, and after genuinely after I did it, I was like, "Wow, I feel quick."
1: isn't it funny that we've both known and played with noughts for so long and it's really rare that you get him to help you (laughs) in training and actually give you a moment of being serious like do you see his instagram story where he said he was missing the gym mostly because he could shout the boys and slag them off and i was just thinking that is so true i don't miss that at all the number of times i've gone to him in the gym and asked for help with their exercise or some speed techers and he won't give you anything he'll just watch you do it and then laugh at you because of how shit you are at it compared to him
2: the best thing is when you are asking for a spot he's like if you can't lift it up yourself you shouldn't be lifting it <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: I, yeah I just I, I've got to give him a shout out because we're, we, we started off in a lowly position on the pod and um, so we've got to be nice to our loyal listeners and my family give me updates every week they all listen my sister listens my aunties listen uh, my cousin who's a big fan it's just it's great and I just wanted to give him a shout out and say we appreciate it uh, not just my family, but all the other Law listeners out there, keep it up.
2: So we'll shout out Rory as well, uh, and know who are the two fans. So,
0: well, yes, in this unprecedented time of the use of the word "unprecedented," uh, people have been voting with their eardrums, and yeah, last episode was our most listened to ever. So the numbers are climbing, the love is being felt. And uh, the listenership is staying pretty loyal. So thank you very much to you guys. And if you could continue to like, share and subscribe on whatever platform you're getting your pod fix from, then that'd be much appreciated by myself, Chip and Mitch. And I'm sure this one is going to go to new heights. Pretty excited about this one. It's going to go to new heights. I've uh, got to give a few shout outs though as well. Shave, nominate, donate your teammate. Alex Davies, they are around about £26,000 mark now. It's
1: epic. Great work. All involved. Well done.
0: So keep plugging away at that. Uh, Obviously elsewhere in the rugby community, Ed Jackson's climbed his flight of stairs millions of times to raise about 40 grand. And Barnes Rugby Club are doing a million kilo lifting challenge on Saturday to raise money for the NHS that lots of people are getting behind. So you can check out their charity efforts with all the proceeds going to the NHS.
1: It's cool, isn't it? The things people are doing. It really is kind of it's uplifting Um, amazing things people willing to put themselves through and just get organized in order to help. It's cool. It gives
0: me a warm fuzzy feeling inside. Yeah. And the, and Richmond as well, the Richmond heavies foundation did a 2.6 challenge on Sunday, raising money for mental awareness. So everyone's getting stuck in. It's good. It's it's brought out the best in people. Lockdown ain't that bad. Other people who've been in touch, other loyal listeners, uh, asthma UK have been in touch just to inquire as to whether you're all right, Chippy, after a particularly heavy-breathed episode with Rory and Marcus. What was going on?
2: So, basically, I come on to to you, Bernie, and say, listen, I want to be a professional podcaster, and I'm a bit concerned after listening back is why I'm always going (gasps) on the pod and then use it against me with a a made-up allegation and a made-up call Uh, Joe, I haven't, I'm coming to grow as a person and as a podcaster. I don't need you to put
0: me down. Brave at at foolish words from a man to the other bloke who edits the pod and manipulates everything. (laughs) And Mitch, uh, a bit of feedback for you. Can you hurry up and produce some viral content? I mean, (laughs) Jim Hamilton is doing reverse passes into a bin. And you have produced nothing. I can't believe I overlooked Carlos Spencer for you when we were trying to put this team sheet together.
1: Well, I still haven't forgotten that you didn't come to me first anyway. You went to Chippy and then you went. You asked for noughts. And I haven't forgotten that. I know I have second fiddle in all of this. So before you pull at that thread, just bear that in mind. And with regards to the viral content, like, I mean there's so there's a lot of dodgy efforts out there that you do you have like 10 or 20 goes at it you're gonna get it now i don't think that's impressive Is that, are you
2: referring to uh, master carlin Isles with the toe bung drop goal through a door which was the most disgusting strike i've ever seen in my entire life
1: i've done my best to try and forget that chip but thanks for bringing it up um, yeah, I mean, I just hope Noel or, or, or Maddie are giving him some tips on his kicking deckers because that was horrific. But fair play, he's obviously stuck at it for a while and he's got it through the through the thing. And he's the king of king of content, so um, I won't argue. Go on then, boys. What have you been up to?
2: Busy morning for me this morning, Burnsy. On the night shift last night with Rudy. Um, so I got up early, uh, went for a run, fasted cardio inspired by my captain Tom Mitchell um had a bit of breakfast apart from that not a lot um my birthday this week so looking a bit bit sad and lonely for that but
0: be fine happy birthday chip how old are you going to be it's tomorrow isn't it or or yesterday if people are listening to this on friday
2: yeah i'd be 30 fortunately
0: big 3-0 how are you marking it
2: uh sitting inside with my family
0: <laughs> <Woohoo>!
2: <laughs> Nothing planned, really. Um, I think Anna is going to make me a cake. Um,
0: I, know, I might have a couple of beers. I don't know. We'll have a shindig when this is all over. Too right, we will. Cannot wait for the seventh heaven end of season social.
2: Woo! Mini chicken Kievs for, for all. Fair play to your missus on that first episode. She put a hell of a spread on. I was thinking, yeah, I could get used to this podcasting like never to be seen
0: again. She's got very, very big into baking cakes, as you might be able to tell from my waistline. So there could be a cake and episode when we get out of lockdown. Outstanding.
1: With the, between the cakes and the glove boxing, mate, you're in trouble, aren't you? Mitch, what have you been up to? Sorry, kind of hijacked that bit. Uh, yeah, I'm not a lot to report. I've been doing a bit of training. Quite enjoying the training, actually. It was hard to get into it a couple of weeks ago, but now I feel like I'm back in the groove a bit, enjoying uh, getting out to the park, doing some running for my one a day. And then... Uh, yeah, other than that, just been actually exploring around rugby, just kind of picking a few threads outside of rugby, um, exploring potential options. As you said, you've already you, – well, it, that's because it has – the process is very vague as well. You know what it's like trying to think about life after rugby because half your brain switches off because you don't want to acknowledge it. Um, so, so then you're trying to engage what's left and, then, uh, and, and trying to do
0: something practical. Yeah, I was laying in bed last night thinking of you two, and thought about <laughs> talk me talk to me more about that fancy. What were you wearing? I te- I'll tell you. I'll tell you part one. You have to pay a subscription for part two. Um, <laughs> a teaser. A, te- a teaser. <laughs> but I was just thinking about you know your lives after rugby, and it's so rare for anyone to at the age of 20 or 18, I don't know when you guys exactly turn professional, 20, 21, who goes into a career and stays in there for 10 years from the word go? It's, it's pretty rare these days. And you never waver from leaving. I think a lot of people go into careers and they're in there for a short time, then they have doubts and then they persist. Whereas, you know, you're living, you're living the dream basically. So, you know, it's, it must be a very daunting thought after, I don't want to go too deep here. That's <laughs> always yeah, so your case, Burns, isn't it?
2: <laughs> now, it innit? it its daunting, but it's exciting as well. Um, you've got to pick the positives out of everything, especially the situation we're in at the moment. Yeah, like new experiences, gonna be class. Whatever we do next, uh, me and Mitch are both like putting wheels in motion. Now we're guided and funded—like, well, not funded, guided by the RPA uh who help us get into do things after rugby and encourage us to do things. And especially with England Sevens at the moment, the program, the way the state is in at the moment, they're encouraging us to look and try and plan for after after rugby. So yes, it it's exciting, a little bit daunting, but whatever comes next, will be a welcome
1: change. That's it, and it's the shift of perspective away from it was obviously going to be the fear there, but seeing the uh the opportunity to do something new rather than it being the black hole um, is the way you kind of got to look at it, I think.
2: Also as well, um, I think it was last week, AJ sent me a picture, a random one, you know, on the time hop when it sends you uh, t- sends you back. Um, and he sent me a picture of Bali from the Commonwealth Games. I'm on the beach with a medal on and I've got a beer and shorts on and a T-shirt because I'm keeping the rig tucked under, especially after a couple of beers getting blowed up. Uh, but I was just thinking what a bloody journey we've been on. And if it ends tomorrow, I'm happy with where we've been. Um and I'm just like grateful for the opportunity. I'm not retiring myself now. I think that's the theme of these podcasts <laughs> retiring myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, though, that's the realization it? you come to when you when you think about it for long enough. It's been yeah. fun.
1: It's true though, but then I flip between uh those feelings of gratitude and then being you know content with it but then also wanting to cling on so tight to all the good stuff and wanting more of it as a famous actor once said i'm not fucking leaving (laughs) you've said you've used that before
0: (laughs) i've got again all right guys we got a huge guest on today one we've been very excited about getting on for a long long time set the scene for me yeah, so uh, Banj was the guy who gave
1: me and Chip our first start on the World Series, um, my first entry into professional rugby. So very grateful and nice to get, get him on. And hopefully we'll chat a bit about that. And a, a massive
0: name in the game. Nothing to add to that, Mitch. Excited to get him on. Yeah, that's right. Our guest today needs a little introduction as he follows. Pretty hot on the heels of sidestepping Sarevi in the pecking order of seven's favourite son's which is rather apt as it was with Fiji that he achieved his greatest coaching triumph, though this didn't happen overnight. He donned the tracksuit of Teddy School Oxford, Newbury in the Championship and England Sevens before hopping on a plane to Rio via Suva and proving to be the man with the Midas touch, returning from the 2016 Olympics with Fiji's first ever medal. And the colour was gold. Ben Ryan is in seventh heaven.
1: How are you, Ben? What have you been doing to pass the time then in lockdown?
3: Um, I did have, I've had a project I was doing um, with UK Sport that finished about, I don't know, 10 days ago and that was all written project and then uh, I've just done a couple of Skype to a few, a few clubs that I'm still working, working with, um, but generally trying to be proactive and not really succeeding. It's tough, isn't it? It's tough to get stuff done. Yeah, it is. I've supposed to be doing my French every day. I'm supposed to be just doing my outline for my new second book, and um, I've got another thing I've got to do, and I just haven't, I just haven't done it yet. So, um, yeah, no excuse really. What are you using to learn French? I've tried everything. So I used to go to Lycée Français for lessons in South Ken, and then I went to, and that wasn't working. And then I, I did an online tutor, and then I'm Duolingo and reading and watching, and that seems to be the best so far.
0: There is an excellent eclair shop called Matre Shoe by the Lycée in, um, in South Cairn. I'm I'm all over it. I know it. Yeah. <laughs> how good? How good are those eclairs? Yeah, it's ridiculous. They're like works of art, aren't they? <laughs> what's the, uh, what's the teaser we'll, for we'll, the next book, We always book, get Band. food.
1: Yeah, I know. Chippy, that's your favourite subject, mate. Um, ben, what's the teaser for the book then? The next one. Just drop that
3: in there slightly. Yeah, it's a, it's a kind of leadership slash business book, really. So I'm just doing it with someone, um, a, a psych, psych, psychology-based kind of business book. So, yeah, just getting it together now. Cool. When, not wait. very interesting, is it? <laughs> <laughs> wait, can we explain that one? Well, like, are you just a you're closed book, Ben. You're not giving like, as much there. It's like, well, well you know, I can't, I've done all my rugby chat. You know, that, there's not a lot more to add to any of that that the lawyers didn't take out on my first book. So, um, you know, that's where we are. Was there a lot that was cut from it was there? Uh there was quite a lot actually yeah there's some silly stuff that's cut um that I just didn't make didn't but but lawyers have to be super careful because if you get one person that decides to to do something to put a, a, say you've been libelous um and they win you've got to you, you've got to kind of get, all those books have to get mulched and um and there's a pretty heavy cost and the author has to take take the the take that on the shoulders generally, so there were one or two where they said it would be my responsibility if they if they sued us um and I just didn't want to take that risk um, but yeah I put enough stuff in there that you know made it interesting
2: so if Simon wrote a book and said that Chippy didn't get paid for the last Olympics because he was too fat,
3: I could sue him. If that was factually incorrect, you could.
2: <laughs> I get my skinfold graphs up, then we'll, uh, we'll we'll go
3: to court. That's it. So where are you, where um, are you guys? Yeah, Chippy, you're in you're in Isle of Wight. Are you in South London, Mitch? You're not. You're not allowed to train or anything like that.
1: Well, there's nowhere to go to train other than the back garden and the park. Um, but it's yeah. quite nice in a way because you've got a kind of back to basic stuff like the stuff you used to do when you were
3: younger and he had no idea what training was supposed to look like. Yeah, sweet. The, I, I saw that the, um, uh, the Fijian, Fiji, Fiji have got the coronavirus down to almost nothing now. So they're allowing meetings of less than 20, which basically means the national team are, will be back training now. So uh, they're going to get a little bit of a head start, I
0: think, on everyone else. Did you hear Ugo Moni's suggestion earlier in the week that rugby, when it returns, should be uncontested scrums? for the first two weeks so that players can bed themselves into the physicality and then then ramp it up to full-blown rugby in an effort to get the game started sooner. It's
3: interesting, isn't it? I think they're just definitely going to have... Burnsy, sorry I didn't ask where you are. Um, you that's look,
1: it, that's, it it, that's de- all
3: right, mate. It looks
1: delightful. <laughs> but, uh, ben,
3: no one cares.
1: Yeah, <laughs> The listeners don't want to
3: know. <laughs> well, in, a, in answer to your question, I think I think they've definitely got to have some. They're going to have to have some law changes. Just, and I know in in football, some of the stuff I do with them, they're going to be expent You know, they're expanding their bench um, and, and the number of substitutions. I actually think, um, not that it's a plug, but you know, that that I think some of the rugby X laws, they could actually bring in, for example, rolling subs, and not do it so that it's a complete mess where it's taking up loads of time. But if they just did. Did it at tries that were scored as well as a normal seven subs. I think you might have a bit more flexibility in, in
0: the early because two games a week's just going to be a disaster, I think, on the body. That brings us nicely to something that I wanted to ask just to kick things off, Ben, that for the casual rugby observer, uh, you're now involved uh, with France sevens. You've dabbled a little bit with Wales sevens, but... I think a lot of people would like to know why you haven't been more prominent in the coaching world of rugby in the last four years. Because we're coming up to quite a big anniversary of a a big moment in your life. But I think a lot of people would have anticipated seeing you kick on into more 15 aside side and, and more prevalent in seven still. Um a number of reasons really I guess I, I firstly like i wasn 't with Wales I had
3: like literally one meeting um signed a contract sort of on a handshake and it and when we, when I got there, it just wasn 't what they wanted and what I wanted really so there was no dramas around that, but I just it didn 't fit and then France has been a, a kind of a slow a slow a slow burner, really, so I really enjoy working with Jérôme the head coach he's he 's fantastic and I really like the boys and they're they 're good fun and um and that I uh, do quite a lot of stuff off off field. So the top 14 tournament that we ran last year in Paris. And um, we're supposed to be having a, a series of those tournaments running in August in France, which um, isn't going to happen now with the government uh, putting that law down for anything till September. Well, it does mean Paris 7s does mean it could still be played. So that'll be interesting. Um have I managed to then like sidle that question so I don't have to talk about why I'm not doing any rugby now. Yeah,
2: Banj, Well dodged. Thank you. <laughs> well dodged a season
1: pro. There's none of that in uh, seventh heaven banch.
3: Yeah. Uh, We've come across I, someone I, I just, who's a lot smarter than us. <laughs> no, I j I just um I just knew that when I left Fiji, uh, I needed to well, I needed to leave Fiji for a number of reasons and then uh I did think I was gonna go back into fifteens. I did have a couple of head coach offers at good clubs um and got down to the point where it was we were talking numbers and i i didn't i didn't feel that i really wanted to do the day-to-day and and everything had been you know i had one offer that really ticked all of my boxes but it still wasn't enough for me to want to go back so um that's really why um sevens i never really wanted to go back round traveling uh, if you could just like drop you into a tournament, and you can do the two day tournament or three days, and then also drop me into the half day off at a coffee shop or restaurant in some of those locations that I'm in but um i just I'd done it for so long and uh and and you move on um so I miss the tournaments and the excitement, and I love that roller coaster of the two days and six games and all that sort of stuff but You know, I I don't really want to go back full time. Uh, I I wouldn't say no to an Olympic opportunity, um, but that still kind of really not fits in with my ethos that you need to be embedded properly in teams. So that's it, really. I'm kind of getting, I think I I did want to go back part time. So I did have a conversation with a premiership club about going part time, but part time for them was four days a week and the weekend and that for me wasn't enough of part-time so I don't know now whether with maybe the financial stresses on the premiership and they might be they might be they might be cutting down staff that actually a part-time role in the prem might now be an option who knows what is
1: it about going back to 15s that you'd find attractive and and what kind of the some of the things that maybe put you
3: off when you turned down those offers before um I think the attractive bit is the um it's got to be careful. It's something that we all have to deal with. And I've had to deal with it a lot is, is ego and my ego and other people's egos. And when I get into fifty want to do 15s, it's generally my ego that's driving that. I want to show everyone that I can do just as well or better in 15s than I did in sevens. Um, and that's my ego, really. Um, I'd be excited about just wanting to do different things that I did way back with the the Newbury in the championship about 15 odd years ago when we were doing all sorts of different things. Um, and I'd like to try some of that stuff that I, that I think will work in 15s, but a lot of it is ego driven. Um, and what I don't particularly like is the day to day. I hate doing analysis. I hate doing meetings. Um, I much rather have put the autonomy on the players. I like to slim down all of that. Uh, I much prefer the Saracens model of less training, um, and certainly if I was in charge of a prem club, I'd be cutting down a lot of what they were doing and uh, having a lot less meetings. Uh, and so, it, so you know, those sort of things are, are ingrained a bit in, in the Premiership, and I, you know, I'd I'd like to change them, but I'm not sure I'd be given that opportunity. So. So that's it. And, and then overseas, I've had options to go overseas as well, but I've kind of just moved back to London. It feels like I've just moved back. I'm, you know, settled here with Michelle and we're really enjoying life in London. So at the moment, although we've talked about having an opportunity in the future to go overseas, it's kind of, it just suits everything else at the moment.
0: I was chatting to another journalist, uh, John Newcomb. Yeah. And yeah. mentioned about ha- having you on the pod and he was asking further to your 15s coaching that do you think that some 15 sides in your time have been put off by your methods or your inventions so when you're at Newbury it was viewed as very inventive you had great success but then maybe too avant-garde for premiership i
3: think at the time so yeah Newbury like we we played we did we did play a high risk game and we did do lots of different things um we used bat, bat line formations um we had a libero role, so Damu Damu was selected as just a in whatever position he wanted to, so he'd named 14 players and then then Damu. Uh, he got man of the match twice playing libero, and he kind of played around at 12, 8, 11, and it was quite fun doing that. Um, and it just gets everyone else thinking about, like, you know, if you've got a libero and you've got a, a scrum on midfield halfway, well, and you've got Damu Damu sick on the wing, well, maybe you put him in at number eight, and maybe put in it, just gave the players more like emotional understanding of the game uh, and I, I really enjoyed all of that and I had Brian Ashton with with me helping me as well so um, yeah that was a real think tank that that we had and and I was too I was young then and so trying to get a job in the Premiership then as a head coach or was was going to be a, a reach and then England came in for sevens and then I don't know if you know the original story but but myself and Mark Mapletoft were after to apply for the under 20s job and and then the sevens came up and then they basically said, look, we want you both to work for the RFU. We've got these two teams. Um, ben, you know, slightly more about sevens than Tofty. So how about you do sevens? Tofty does 20s and in a year we'll review it. Um, and then the year came and we were like, yeah, cool. And then a year later, we both said, like, we're quite enjoying what we're doing. And so we stuck with it. And they, they so it could have been Mark Mabertoff you were talking to now. And he might have been the one that that had got the gold in Rio. Bans, you talked about um, changing things and you said about more rolling subs and
2: bringing stuff from Ruby X in. If you had a couple of changes, two or three changes to make to the series, what would your top ones be that you could think of?
3: Yeah, good one. Um, I think formats I'd, I'd have a crack at. I, I think it depends which way, which way we're going to go. So like in the great scheme of things, if we had a year round seven series um, and, we had, and we had a bottomless budget, then could you just fly teams in you play straight knockout games it's one evening it's it's straight knockout like the old middle six sevens it's over in three hours you then market that sell it and it'd be an IPL type thing now I think actually as a product that would be unbelievably good and exciting and have so many uh so many close games and so many different winners but you know how hard it is to travel to the other side of the world and the costs of going and maybe playing one game in Sydney and then then coming back to London that's 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 hard so you have to try and think about how you could wrap other stuff in around that or could you play a saturday night in sydney and a wednesday night in auckland and then come home knowing that you might only play two games or you might might have played a lot that you can you know that th- those sort of things i think need to maybe move the dial because sevens is not a viable sport for production that no too long and even the golden couple of hours, golden hour or two hours it, it, it is it doesn't fit so there's that in, in game i think we need to have a discussion around sevens is about fitness skills decision making end-to-end excitement so why is 30 percent of every game spent kicking or running back after a kick is it so important kicking to us that we have to have 30 percent of every game either a kickoff or scoring or a conversion or after the conversion has been taken the 20 seconds to walk back to restart. That, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of time being taken out for that particular skill. Do we need those breaks for the fitness levels or not? Can we have rolling subs? Can we change things? All those things, I think, just need, a, just need a people in the room that have played the game, that have coached the game, that watched the game to maybe think about how we can secure the future of sevens.
2: You have a field goal kicker coming on. I think that could be my little role
3: there. <laughs> I mean, you could stop the clock all the time, but then then you got broadcast issues. Um, so I'm, I'm, I think just shaving that time away for me would definitely be. And I hate the scrums at the moment; they are an abomination. Like Got Safka got used to get away with that little roll in, so it's almost like a number eight feed. And Everybody keep it at the back, yeah. Everybody's doing it now; it's a farce. And and that needs to just be wiped out. Either don't have. I mean, we haven't got yet in fifteens, right? If you lose a player and then you bring on another front row specialist, they get injured. You go to uncontested scrums. Uh, We've never yet had the point where someone's come onto the field. Yeah, Dan Norton comes onto the field and he's got to go in at hooker. And he goes, "Ref, I'm not a specialist. I'm not. This is not safe." Referee can can only have uncontested scrums. No one's done that yet. But under law, he has nowhere else to go around that. Um, and as everyone's getting bigger and more physical, and scrums are getting competitive or getting physical, there runs a risk of more injury. And uh, I think I think scrums need to be attended to as well. Either do them properly, or don't do them unless they're you know find another way of doing things. Or I quite like of having a two man scrum with a number eight in the back, so you actually can do far more things there. Eight can pick, can roll, can have different moves. That would be quite interesting, I think. As someone who's been in um, a total of one scrum in the whole of my World
1: Series career badge, I think you're onto something. It was a solid scrum. I prop that up. Were
3: you, were, you, were you hooking? Were you prop? What were you doing? No, I slotted in a hooker.
1: <clears throat> lovely, lovely,
2: yeah. lovely. It is true, though, because we use wingers. We put, bring wingers on and put them in uh, prop. Um, and our scrum suffers for it. And if you think about the health and safety of it, it's not like... When you're seeing Tom Bowen, he loves scrummaging, but he's like one of the wingers who comes on. But yeah, it's tough. But well, technically, it's a tough one to- if we
1: defend, we do it, lots of teams do it, at the defensive scrum. You've, you put a sweeper in, a
3: hooker in your defensive scrum. So, but technically, is that legal? No, probably not. Yeah, there's so much under law that that actually isn't written, you know, and that, that's another conversation. It's quite a boring one. But, um, but I think we need to tidy up on all of that. And I really, I'm a big fan of of Craig and Paddy. So um, I think they they would love to do more, I'm sure. But um, I think sometimes their hands are tied and, and maybe we need to have a separate sevens law book to the 15s game, not just an abbreviated law book, but actually make some, so we can go, go the way we want the game to go.
1: Is there a difficulty with making some of these changes though with the fact that the seven series encompasses so many different teams at all different levels of funding and development and uh, skill level as well. Does that mean that it's difficult to push the game
3: in some of these areas? Yeah, probably because like everyone's budgets are slashed and so there's lots of different there's lots of different things that are stopping the development of the game. But if you think about, well, how can you get more money into the game? There's a couple of avenues. One is you have to make it a TV friendly commercial product. You have to bring better quality players that are well-known stars into the game. And you have to have alternate streams of income and, and, and younger crowd coming through. So all those things have to have to happen. And there are. You know, that means you might have to, you know, I don't know many coaches that are gonna to want to travel to to one a tournament and only play one game if they get but but no but would they do that knowing that their budget's gonna have another zero on in a couple of years' time? I don't know. I mean, I would do that as a you know, if you're overseeing programs, I know it's hard for people on the ground to accept change in a short time span.
0: Do you think that model of having a straight knockout three hour competition can be applied domestically though to encourage growth of sevens within a country because we've got there's loads of really good invitational teams in the uk but you see them four times a year in the super series but if you really ramped it up and had friday night wednesday night tournaments with that model then surely that that would then propel the international game forward as well certainly within the uk i don't know whether it would work in other countries
3: Yeah, I mean, look, I don't know how how, uh, linked in England 7's pathway is to Super 7's. I mean, when was the last person that came through Super 7's to get capped by England? What's the answer for that? Has there been anyone?
2: Can't think of anyone off the top of my head, Banj. I'm trying to think. Maybe some of the young lads have played a bit in bobs, but I'd imagine that someone had hooks him
3: in before they went and played. Maybe they just went for exposure. So no one that's suddenly just come to the fore from playing Super Series. And... and I mean, they're definitely there. I mean, there's no doubt about it. They're different. They're definitely uh, in the lower leagues and playing semi-pro, and have made different decisions not to to choose professional rugby, but are could be international sevens players. No doubt about that. But I think it all needs to be linked up, and I and I think now is the time as well to to really start to bring the prem prem into the camp and start to do more with with. The Premiership they 're all going to be having funds and uh, contracts slashed, um, and so sevens could go in and do some good deals there um, to get some joint ownership of players uh, and then if you have a wider pool and a bigger pool, then the conversations to have more tournaments and various things can start to happen as well so um, yeah there's, there's it's, I mean it's so, so fragile rugby at the moment we only had one or two weeks off after coronavirus and already clubs were cutting salaries so it shows you that it's hand by mouth by a lot of these teams and it's the same in unions you know you guys would have seen it with england with having your budget cut in the last couple of years it's the same everywhere there's there's very few clubs uh, nations that are are loaded with money for sevens programs so you have to think of financial opportunities Do you think Rugby X is something like on the back of this coronavirus
2: coming back in, something that clubs can use to generate income for themselves?
3: Uh, So, say we have like a Premiership Rugby X with like a split league, North South. We've had these conversations across the globe, and not just in the UK. You know, for for the clubs to to make uh, make an opportunity to 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 recover some funding, and also, you know, there is no reason why you can't have Rugby X games during the season because they're so short and sharp and, and there's less onus on injury. You know, you've seen Premiership rugby when they have the sevens pre-season. There's always at least one serious injury. It, it, it's a terrible combination of young academy keynos that are literally going 100 miles an hour with a couple of season pros playing live on tv for the first time in their home stadium in a big premiership stadium and and they just get things wrong often and they get over fatigued and they they get season-ending injuries um and the quality drops really dramatically so X rugby at christmas for the premiership in a closed stadium uh, would certainly bring more money in um and you know it's it's the commercial strand as well as the performance strand it's And and it's bringing in new supporters. It's not necessarily we're saying Rugby X players are going to end up being test match superstars. We're also saying it's a vehicle to bring in
0: more money, play the game, bring in different supporters. But Chip, you were a massive fan of the product on the pitch for Rugby X, were you? Not the
2: first time, no, but I think that's the case with all kind of uh, first tournaments. Like Banjo and Mitchell testify to this. Whenever you go to a first tournament, it's just got a couple of teething issues. It was a tough one, that first one we played. At the start of the season, we had a bit of an iffy squad out. Um, like we had, well, we had the kids and me and Norts,
3: I think it was. And think got like only had to do it because he was getting paid for it. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was a shame England put out such a terrible team, Um but it was good that the women actually like they saved saved England really there by winning that tournament um and and you're right first tournaments you know we got some things wrong for sure the scrums again looked terrible because they had the that everyone was playing the scrums like they were in the sevens so with an extra five meters to play with it was it that was a that was an issue um but I think we were onto to something and i think it i think it's got legs um we've just got to fine tune it like everything else really
1: yeah i th- i mean i i i've said to you banjo i was a fan of it and the concept and everything i think i guess putting my like player welfare hat on which you know it does have to be at the forefront of a lot of these changes and you know what it was like when back in the day when you were coaching with england and um some of the tournaments then there were a lot of issues that really were probably not acceptable in terms of a high level professional sport in terms of some of the standards and i guess that would be my concern with bringing Changes to not just with Rugby X and bringing that in, but you know, changes to the World Series format or and how you've explained it. Like, what's the best way of going about that? In my eyes, you've got to bring the players into the conversation a lot more.
3: Yeah, too, right? Definitely. And and that's current players, you know, particularly and ones that don't have an agenda, coaches that don't have an agenda, um, administrators, and people from outside rugby and in other professional sports that can be disruptors and give us various other options as well. Um, I think all of that stuff needs to needs to come into it because I love sevens, but I'm never going to sit and watch two days of it on telly. I can't or in the stadium. I can't go through 50 or 60 games, particularly with the men's and women's together. I think the women's game has gone on leaps and bounds, but it should never it should not be running alongside the men's series. And that's not because of any other reason other than women can't get their own sponsorship cost 30 percent more in every tournament costs and they don't get that back in gate um, and it makes for a far longer tournament to the detriment of both the men's and women's games and if the women's became occasionally attached but but actually start to create their own series and really put some some resource and, and funding and money behind that so so that they can start to really boost their their own their own way of their own journey i think that will that will improve things i can see why they did it and they must have thought it's about having equal opportunity, which I'm 100% for, but I actually don't think it's created that. I think it's, caught, it's, actually, it's actually damaged both. And so I think there's a way of maybe trying to change that now, adjust all that. So there's a whole load of stuff that we could do to change, but it does require people to sit down, have honest conversations and make some fairly radical changes. One night in heaven, one night in heaven, one one Speaking of change, bunch,
2: it's all changed since me and you first started. Jeez, that feels like absolute age ago. <laughs> yeah, well, um, in Edinburgh, that you it? feel
3: old, Banj? Well, it was in Edinburgh, yeah, when you played against... Do you play against Fiji And the... Do we play... You played against Fiji. Fiji yeah, yeah that's yeah, it, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: You put you put me on twice on the first day, but as the full-time whistle was going, so I jumped <laughs> <Yeah>. on.
3: <laughs> at least full-time time a, whistle went as well. <laughs> that was a little bit better than Rodder's. I think Rodder's his first tournament, I didn't put him on at all for six games, just sat on the bench. <laughs>
0: no, Although like don't Kansas worry, one we of his tournaments.
3: reminded him of it a few times. <laughs> Nortz tells him every single time he brings up the record. That, I mean, N- Nortz did the same as well. He sat on the bench a fair bit in his first couple of tournaments. That was when you could only put three out of five on, wasn't it, I think? Hectic. Me and Mitch were chatting.
2: Was it, When when we first started, were your fitness sessions just disgusting or were we really unfit or was it a combo of both?
3: Yeah, i I think when I started, like, so I had less people coming from above telling me about what we had to do and what we couldn't do as far as contact and training and all that sort of stuff and we would do some some yeah some hard old school training um, where a lot of it was playing games a lot of it was shuttling diagonals suicides things like yeah. that you know and we used to do the i don't know like if any of the boys would remember pre-Delhi Commonwealth games we used to do lots of back to back um RFU um fitness tests so we just just them one after another god i was never around for that um i remember yeah i mean that noughts back then was super fit on that and and dan caprice was was the king of that actually i think he was he was ridiculously good at doing those back-to-backs um i did that with fiji as well but with the with a yo-yo i do the yo-yo test and we do it up to half a dozen times it's more mental than physical when you get to that sort of level I remember doing that back to back test for the first time and it was
1: after we'd had a week off and being the fresh pants that I was back when you were coach Ben, um, I just, you know, still with my university students head on thought, oh, week off, like you do what you want. Was obviously wasn't the the best attitude back then. After after I spent a week in Marbella with a few of my uni mates, and then came back in. And day one we had the back to back fitness test. After the second yeah. one, after it finished, I honestly couldn't see. And we went straight into doing some skill stuff. And I honestly, was really struggling to see the
3: ball that we were passing. I'll never <laughs> forget that pain. I mean- I really like hearing stuff like that. It's cool. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I mean, there was there was there was there was thought behind it because back in the day, it was me and Brett Davison were there, and and Sevens had had a bit of a. We, we, you know, I I didn't think Sevens was going to survive uh, post about two thousand eight or nine. It was when the EPS agreement came in. Rob Andrew cut a deal for for everyone, but. Everyone's the first, the senior team got loads of, um, central, you know, they got lots of time available to train, but to the detriment of age groups and sevens, and suddenly from being able to call upon premiership players, I couldn't call upon premiership reg nine, which was available, which then meant we could go down to championship and call in players that disappeared. So we had no decent players to call upon or anybody could have turned us down at any club and we needed to get something, a USP that gave us a bit of kind of a standard uh, uh, within the union, and we thought, well, look, if we really put fitness at the top of the agenda and get these boys super fit, and the, the, the national team were also putting an onus under that as well at the time with Jono, um, and they were doing the, the yo-yo, t- the, the RFU test. So let's do two of them, let's do it back to back, and and start to show everybody how how fit sevens players were. And so it kind of stemmed from that, really, as well as like in my first year, there was a cupboard where Mike Snelling, the old physio, uh, used to stay. And we found some GPS units in there that Clive Woodward had bought for the team. They'd used once, didn't like them, discarded them. And so me and Brett thought, well, let's try and chuck them on the boys and try and find out exactly what they go through in training and in games. So we were the first international rugby team to use GPS. We weren't allowed to. It, wasn't, it was illegal at the time, but we just chucked it on everyone. And then we kind of did a side deal saying, look, we'll give it to the referees and the other teams in warm-ups if they want to find out a little bit more about what they're trying to do. And then eventually it came in It came in to, uh, to everybody and they changed the regulations.
1: Back then, there was obviously loads of um, like awesome stuff that was going on. I'm sure there's loads of stuff I could be critical of if I really thought about it. The one thing I want to pull you up on now though, and I know Chip will back me up on this, is some how you approached new players inviting them into training because that caused me and chip both the problem because i think i don't know what your story is rich but you left me a voicemail banj and i had no idea i was even being looked at at that stage and obviously thought it was a prank because why would i be getting a phone call from the coach of the england sevens team so i think i didn't ring you back for a couple of days thinking that it wasn't it wasn't a legit call and you were the same chip weren't you yeah, I think
2: I had I think you uh, you rang me first and I told you to fuck off. And then Rusty <laughs> rang me and I was like listen lads, I was like, fuck off, I've had enough of this. Because that was a common thing we did at uni. We'd ring people up, say, hi, it's, um, it's Dave Jones from the Cardiff Blues. We'd love you to turn up to Cardiff Arms Park. If you could be there at 8am, that'd be great. And we'd have people from uni bowling into training at Cardiff Arms Park. Um, so when I got the call, oh, you've been picked for England 7s. I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, thanks very much. Good one. Yeah, What was the crack with that bunch? I
3: think you actually messaged me on Facebook as well. I was like, the boys have really gone for it this time. We, were, we, we just like we tried to investigate every opportunity to find players any any email or message or lead would follow up even if it was some blokes dad emailing saying they were the best player in the world would follow it up and some of those would go nowhere and others like your jeff williams and like it was what it was it was uic and kirk and with you chip in it was bob reeves with you mitch and like you follow them up like and it'd be like right okay let's find out what these guys can do and um you know you, you, jeff williams of this world was in, was a random email from his dad um and that worked out all right for him and there's there's, there's loads like that i think you just got to be open when you you're looking for talent to to find everyone and maybe i could do that in a in a more formal way to actually Taught you, but uh, yeah, yeah that is for Well, you're right now, aren't you? Like, look, look, look at the two of you. Worked out, um, all right, worked out, Chip, all right. Got, worked out well. You can afford a money in the background, Chippy. You're doing all right. <laughs> That's it. Uh, I, don't, I don't know, it could be a money. Imagine that. I'm at my uh,
2: Mrs. Mum and Dad's mm-hmm. house. Um, Banj, so apart from beating Nortz in a sprint, what is your favorite memory yeah. of coaching England?
3: Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. Ben,
0: you, you beat Nortz in a sprint.
1: Let's not go there. It's
0: like, I've seen it's, you
3: in a few races, Banj, actually. You're a
1: specialist like, over the one metre and the five metre distances, aren't you?
0: Yeah, one and
3: two <laughs> metres was probably what I was better off. Yeah, and I enjoyed those um, encounters with Daniel. Um, I, I don't know, really. I mean, everything's got its highlights. You've got so many. It's a bit like saying who's the best player that you've coached or like you have a coach i won't put you on the spot we all know we're <laughs> me and you know <laughs> you'll just get we all, don't, it, i don't know. want to embarrass it the, yeah. i guess the point is like you, that people have their moments don't they where one tournament somebody's killing it another another and it's the same with coaches like you have moments like like wellington when we won wellington for the first time um that was pretty special uh I think Dubai when we lost to Portugal in the first game and then we had to beat Fiji by eight points to go through as the group and we did it on the last play and then we knocked over third, second and first in the world all on the last plays like I put Rudders on in the last play on a kick kickoff against Australia that he caught and then passed to Dan Caprice and we, we managed to edge that did the same against New Zealand in the semis and then beat Samoa the, 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 in the final so Dubai's got a lot of um, happy memories as well um, and then London Sevens uh, the last time last time we won there um, that was pretty cool sticking noughts on and doing a ridiculous arc and then and then Mickey Young scoring the winning try an extra time um, yeah there are all sorts of things like that I guess they've all got their moments I've had plenty of really disappointing ones that haunt me like the Commonwealth Games semi-final like the World Cup quarter-final in Dubai um, like a Hong Kong Quarter final against Fiji. That is never. I'm never going to leave me on the, what happened in that game. So um, yeah, those ones they're the bad ones. So Banj, obviously you've coached England and you've coached Fiji on the World Series.
2: Um, what is your like view on the approach of the other teams? So like, obviously, like when you were with England, it was a different approach, and when it was with Fiji, you were a different approach. Now looking at the series now, what's your views on how different teams approach it and do you think there's a like a
3: perfect model for everyone or is it different? I don't think there's a perfect model. I think a lot of teams, you know, do uh, have their own specific culture. I think a lot of teams tend to all do the same thing. You know, teams used to all do the same blowouts. They all see, eat, seem to nutritionally be on the same sort of area. They're, they're, a lot of them tactically try to do things the same with a few nuances. Um, there's no one at the moment... Uh, that you'd go, they can play, play the same game completely different with perhaps the exception of Fiji. Um, and even they've got a bit more structured in the last few years. Um, so I think everyone generally does it well. I think also generally everybody gets on really well and they're quite open um, and they talk to each other, which I think is so unique and, and so positive for Sevens that, that they do that well. Um, I think, yeah, I, I, I haven't really got any any more to say on that really on uh, Fiji did things very differently from England I do things generally pretty differently to most England coaches I'm a bit more laid back I do allow players a bit more autonomy um, I do I don't sweat the small things as much as I used to um, and I think Fiji helped me with that and it always helps when you know Fiji have got so many did have so many world-class players that it's always going to make you more relaxed as a coach. Isn't it? You know, if you know that the players turn up, they're going to, they're going to be there or thereabouts every single tournament
0: on the topic of other nation strategies. We had Rory McConaughey and Marcus Watson on last week, uh, which is pretty good crack. I'm sure the boys will testify to that. Um, And inevitably, the question came up of players transference from 15s to sevens, especially in Olympic year, because it comes on every player's radar. I might have an opportunity to get an Olympic medal. I don't think you drew on that too much with Fiji unless it was out of necessity because of players having to go and play in France for the money. But where do you stand on bringing 15s players into the sevens programme in Olympic year? I did try and ask Mitch and Chip this at the start of the season, but they swerved it very artfully. So I'm interested to hear where you're at on it.
3: Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm all for it. Um, I think it just it widens your pool as a coach. And if they're good enough, then they make the team. And if they're not good enough, then they don't. And it's, it should be as simple as that, right? And you're not going to suddenly put a 15 star in if, if they're not good enough. And, you know, we had Jared Hayne try and ha- have a late go. And, you know, he's obviously got a pretty, you know, glittering career behind him, but he wasn't good enough. Um, so he didn't make it. And we had, you know, uh, a few of the other boys that were playing in top 14 top try scorers in French rugby that didn't make the team. Um, but then others did. Uh, and I, I think you have to allow that, you know, to happen. So, you know, if closer to home, if I was w- with Great Britain, I would sure sure definitely would have would have earmarked and grabbed people and given them an opportunity during the season and then put them into a training camp at the end and if they're good enough then they get in it's going to lift everyone's standards i think people you know you can't start having arguments about well i've been in the system for so long and i'm the one that should be going to olympics it, you don't win olympic medals like that you win it by being the best team there and um and so I'd i'd open the field up
0: Give me some names, Banj. Who would you who would you pick? Well, U- who, would you, UK, who would you
3: take a look at?
0: Um
3: I would have taken a look at Marrow. Um I think there's room for a big unit in the forwards that that could be like that in sevens. You know, we had that with you know Leo Nakarawa and Bill Mata. You know, they they, they look too big to play sevens, but they, they they can really attract a lot of defenders and and win you do your set piece and give you a lot of confidence when you're walking out with a six foot 720 kilogram unit um, that can run around. Um, and, you know, and I was, so I would look at someone like that look, when I coached England's uh, under 18s to the junior Commonwealth games, gold medal, uh, Anthony Watson was ridiculous. Um, he really did stand out in that, in that team. Um, and you'd, you'd be looking at someone like that to, to give it a crack. And um, off the top of my head, you know, I could think of a few, you know, there's, there's a couple of those back rowers in England that that would have been probably got an engine that could survive and a good at the breakdown and disrupting um, like James Davis did. Um, so there, there'd definitely be be quite a few that you'd look at and you'd have conversations with them. You'd find out if they're decent people um, and, you know, Saracens in a situation they're at now, a year in the championship, surely they've had conversations with Saracens about getting some of those boys into the sevens program. If they haven't, then they have dropped a ball there.
2: I think Maro's budget is bigger
3: than the rest of our the rest of our, our budget times ten. I
2: think <laughs> to afford it yeah. for a month,
3: and bankrupt the RFU. I think. You see, that's one of the questions. Isn't it? it's a bit like Sunny when he came to, New- to the to the Sevens and a few others. You know, they don't go for finances. They got to go for other reasons. And so, and that that in itself is if if someone like Maro decided, you know, what I am going to come in, and you know, he's taken a massive cut financially. Well, that that shows you that he's he's prepared to. Um, to, to, to give it a crack so yeah I, I think you should never shut the door to them and I don't buy the fact that it takes months and months and months for these boys to get fit they're a lot fitter than they were 15s players and I think in a two two months three month window you've got no problem at all about getting them to the right levels and why do you think there have been fewer players
1: uh well this year leading up to the what was going to be the Olympics this summer um, coming in than there were last year last time around before Rio we had Sonny Bill uh, or Craig Cooper came in for a like, couple of big names um, a yeah, but- couple of guys in the Fiji squad as well um, South Africa <laughs> kind of brought guys came back for it why are we not seeing yeah. that this season
3: I don't know. I mean, I think South Africa might still have had a go now with the British Lions um, touring South Africa at the same time as the Olympics because they had three Springboks and then also Quagga um, Smith, who was going to be capped, playing as well. Um, it's a good question why they haven't done it. Uh, I definitely still would have done it. Um, and I know that some of them have had conversations. Um, I think that the, the, the calendar hasn't fitted as well this time around. Um uh, i don't know the individual i only know that if i was coaching i would have done exactly the same that i did last time around with fiji you identify a group of players you have conversations you just, you talk to their clubs two years ago you then decide which t- tournaments you're thinking about playing them in you'd airlift them in you tell everyone that's going to happen and then on the back of that you decide to invite them or not invite them to your Olympic training camp, and then you make your decisions from there. That, that for me, is a very straightforward way of doing things, and I, I definitely would have done that. And I don't know Fiji had had conversations, so I think they probably would have done that. I think they would have had a had a look at Yosemi Kunatani's and Leo Nakarawa's and a few other boys that are bouncing around in the top fourteen.
0: Are you allowed to tell us if uh, France were? Talking to Vaca Tower to see if he could make a return to the seven setup. He's
3: yeah. yeah look, J- Jerome is across all of this. Like um, Jean Dallray, the the French sevens coach. You know, he's he's very well respected in the top fourteen. You know, he's he's coached at Dax to a high level. He's played for Dax at high level, and he also played French sevens. And he's a very cerebral coach. He could quite easily be. You know, you see him involved in the top in the the top french side in years to come I'm sure and so he has had conversations with all sorts of current and and uh close to test players um and they have got the availability outside their training squad uh, outside so the french test squad to to choose choose players um, and there's far more relationship now with the top 14 than there ever has been. And, you know, it's it's like night and day between that and what England have with the premiership at the moment. And I, and I think that you need to join those dots. You know, there's a lot of players sit on benches, don't do very much that would benefit from playing sevens. So why not open that uh, door as an opportunity? 100%, Band. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, just moving away from rugby for a minute,
1: um, yeah. we talked a little bit about how since uh rio you've kind of been doing a lot of different things been in a lot of different environments different team cultures in and out of sport can you just give us maybe a couple of examples of ones that you've environments you've been in maybe sporting maybe not that have really inspired you or that you found really interesting and kind of give us a bit of an insight into some of the things you've bounced into in the last three three years four years
3: wow um crikey i don't know where to start really I've, I've been super lucky so i've had a lot of doors that um i've, I've opened since rio and so whether it's you know hanging out in the nba and, and and seeing how they operate um I, I consult for nike as well so spend time in portland and uh work with nike explore which is um t- t- research and development really projects um and so i i get into their network and then chat to the various other people that are in our groups. So that's in Prem, prem football um, and all, all the major sports really. And with UK sport, I'm also a consultant. So I work across all their summer and winter sports. And I've seen some amazing practitioners where you're just gleaning lots of information about lots of things all the time, really. So um, it, it's it's constant, Mitch. I couldn't quite, I couldn't say to you, right, you go here for the best practice or, or, of this, or I just see high levels of, of of performance on and off the field everywhere and i also see the same the same hurdles that a lot of top level teams and organisations fail at generally egos are involved egos so coaches players management owners where their ego makes decisions not on, based on performance but on themselves, um, not creating a psychologically safe environment for the people that are, you're working for. So, you not you're not um, creating safe conversations for your players. Players don't feel they can tell a coach exactly how they feel and what uh, they don't feel like they've got belief and purpose. Uh, they don't feel like they've got enough autonomy. That's a really big one um, in the NBA, in particular. The, the teams that are normally at the top, their coaches have given them so much opportunity to do their thing, to mould the way they want to play, to put the onus on individual talent and skill, um, and really back players and 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 back them publicly as well. Um, and that 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 then creates you know autonomy, which gives players belief and. Uh, and then when you see it constrained, where it's too much coach led, where there's too much around what they want to do, um, you, you generally don't see the results as good as they could be. So I think there's stuff around that that has kind of just hardened my philosophy on on how you construct a team, you know, and and whether that's, you know, trying to make yourself redundant as a head coach or, um, or just generally making, making things more transparent so that uh, players genuinely feel like they're involved in the process in decision-making and, and in, in, in what everything looks like. And even little simple things like I've been to a few NFL clubs where something as simple as they don't even tell their players what, what, what their program is for the week and that really make unstate un you know destabilizes a player's mental health and it's something just simple just let us know what's happening that week and it's something in the planning when the planning's wrong or the coaches don't want want to change things too much or they don't get players to buy into the planning even something as simple as that can cause a real fraction a uh, friction sorry among amongst everyone so a whole ton of things really um yeah. And I'm been really impressed with football in this country. Uh, I used to think that rugby was better, that we were brighter. We were doing better things in sports science and in research and rehab. And I couldn't be further from the truth, you know, that in the premiership and the academies and in the, in the first teams, there's so much, so much, um, going on as far as very, very bright resourceful, uh, practitioners that, that are, are world-class. so it's no surprise really, I guess, but I just didn't, didn't, Didn't think that when I went into those environments.
2: Bans, you talk about um, the Prem Clubs being kind of ahead of rugby in that way what kind of innovations in technology like would you like bring in or what have you seen that you could be used in rugby or wh- where do you think the future for it is going because we spoke to Augustine Pichot about views on innovation he spoke about um, having a computer game and bringing people in via that way but other things kind of like the Rugby X we had about the
3: ball sensor like what innovations in technology would you bring in and where do you, th- where do you see it going sorry it's a bit of a long winded <laughs> no, one it's alright it's a bit it's a bit like like i think always ask yourself like um like gb rowing used to ask you know anything that they bring in will it make our boat go faster and so from a performance angle anything you want to bring in from a tech point of view will it make you better and if it doesn't then don't use it and a lot of premiership football clubs have got so much data now you know it's not just the gps unit and a heart rate monitor and an osmolarity hydration test but it will also be various other things that it might have in their footwear to to measure movement they will have return to plays, um, that week that will be on pressurized training training ground fields. They'll have individual performance analysts and nutritionists. 70%, I think, of premiership footballers now have also external help. So they have at least one person outside the club that they employ f- to help them, whether that's a chef or personal trainer or uh, psychologist. Um, so I think what, what I'm trying to say is there's so much noise around information that a lot of the premiership clubs have actually pared that all down to just keep things simple so they can find their golden threads in all that data. But from a consumer point of view, I think we just need to make more of that available so we need to start, you know, showing off how fast our players are showing off some of those other data and statistics that can just bring the game to life. You know, in, in Rugby X, we're trying to, I mean, I've got some ideas that, that the rest of the guys at Rugby X uh, get nervous about because it's, they're extreme. But, you know, if you have a penalty, you know, have an overtime one-on-one, why can't the crowd choose who who's going to, who's going to do the one-on-ones? Why can't the crowd choose you know what if what if you had a whatever world series game right and and again this is where like bear with me some of this is ridiculous and you go this is just stupid england play new zealand um and it's a semi-final and you know the crowd have chosen who their captain is it gets double points if they score you know and 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 it just it just excites things so for rugby x we can try all of that stuff because it engages that younger crowd that are used to all of those things um and, and I, I just think, you know, there's there's opportunity to, to to just look at stuff and have the conversation, and, and then start to to see whether any of those are going to stick or not. Really.
0: So, you're a believer in technology, but you're clearly like a cerebral, pastoral-driven coach. And correct me if I'm wrong. From yeah, from reading your book and, and reading about you and talking to you, did you see you saw your role at, at Fiji as sort of managing the personalities? and nurturing their development more than actually coaching them how to play the game Uh, is that fair to say i think it's a it's definitely one of the serious aspects of it so so with that in mind is that why france maybe brought you in or you can tell us more about your role with france because i'm going to throw around a few stereotypes here that are always associated with france say passion upfront power the gallic maverick flair but They walk hand in hand with their perceived mental fragility. And we've seen the effect that Sean Edwards has had on the 15 side team in the six nations. Is that a big role that you're playing for the sevens team? We've seen a, a big improvement. In them this season i wondered how much attention you're paying to that aspect of the french no
3: no look i mean this season i've only spent about 12 days in country in france really and for the first time i was at a tournament with them which is vancouver and and they bombed out so i wasn't a particularly good omen for them in in that tournament Um, and it's mainly mainly jérôme and christophe and uh, and the other guys there that are working really hard on raising the standards and talent IDing and getting better players into the system there's some genuinely very good players in that team that will go pop out into the top 14 if they want to and they've got a good, they've got a good age um, profile of that team. So I don't think it's that so much. I had a lot of options for different sevens teams and I didn't want to go to any of them really and the French was a combination of different things and I just thought it was interesting um, and I, and I like France and I got on well with a coach so it it's been kind of you know a real slow burner i'm not i'm not really involved in any coaching um so i think you know all the changes you're seeing and them getting better is down to jerome really and and the group of players not me
0: so i saw a quote credited to you saying that you would never head coach another sevens team but you mentioned earlier that if another olympic opportunity came along that would be very tempting so is there a bit of a conflict there um, yeah, I did say that. And it would be very tempting. I didn't say
3: it was necessarily going to be in rugby. Uh, in our performance directing is something I really enjoy. And I think overseeing programs, um, I'd get a lot of, I think I could add a lot of value into, I can, I'm see, I, you know, going back to Chippy's point earlier about, you see, I've seen a lot of the teams, I've seen a, a lot of things I think they could all do better. And a lot of things they do really well. Um, and I've had a lot of experiences since I left England um that I, you know I'm a, I'm a totally different coach to when when I was when I left in 2013 um and and so yeah so I think I could add to all of that and and the olympics is just so cool and and I would I would think I'd be a bit gutted if I thought rio was my only taste of olympics in in my career in any form um so so the doors are open for that but head coaching in the series uh, I can't I can't see going to another team yeah i think that you know you're you that quotes the correct one on a lighter topic banj someone
1: actually someone when i put you on the on the instagram story someone replied saying is that a ginger hugh jackman and i thought it'd be good to just run through uh on a more on a light-hearted topic a few of the lookalikes you've had over the years because you've got quite a few haven't you
3: yeah. Yeah. It's good that you're, you're, you're bordering on being racist here. So let's go with this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so like, anyone that's, that's ginger. Yeah. So you've got the, you've got just a ton of people, including like, I don't know, there's a and Simpsons through to Hugh Jackman and, uh, Christ, I don't know. Like you tell, you probably know Greg more Rutherford. than. Yeah. Greg, Greg, who, who, who I know. Yeah. He's a good looking lad. Got massive thighs. Um, yeah so there's loads i mean because obviously we have we've signed the film rights for the for the book it's very it's not really it's not really based on the book it's it's a slightly different story um the script's just been finalized so hopefully when coronavirus slows down we can start to progress with that And, and so there'll be someone that 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 will probably be ginger playing me although you can dye anyone's hair these days can't you yeah cgi who would you choose (laughs) (laughs) Rodders. Rodders. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i don't know who i'd choose i mean uh i don't know i i got no idea and um yeah it will be fun th- i mean the whole project's been fun to do so far um and you know the fact that the boys are going to get involved in it and it's going to show off fiji and Rapati's going to be you know a major character in it um i think it's quite exciting Will it run all the way up to the Olympic final? And if it does, can I play myself in the final <laughs> again? I'd like to relive some of that pain, please. Well, there might be some there might be some opportunities there. I don't think it's gonna be much much of much of the final. That was kind of that's the boring bit, isn't it? It's like not a lot happened in that <laughs> final, Mitch. I'd Just need a decent jump.
1: stunt double for some of that, to be <laughs> fair. As
3: yeah. you
1: as you kindly pointed out in the book, Banj,
0: I picked yeah, up that's on that. It. that. I think they're gonna get Perez in to play you, Mitch. <laughs> Banj, who's who's better looking, Mitchell Perez, Perez? Which Perez? Stephen Perez. Stephen
3: Perez. Yeah, I can see. I mean, we do like, alike. It's the hair, right? That's it.
1: Hair and a bit of a That's beard. It. See, I, I feel, I feel your pain now, Banj of just being these shallow
3: comparisons. It's unfair. Yeah, yeah, it's unfair. It's unfair.
1: Um, I was just going to ask. Last time the Lions tour came around, your name was in the mix. Um,
3: quite heavily. Any eyes on that for the next one? No, no, none whatsoever. Cool. And yeah, my name was right, bandied question. around a lot. And then as soon as Warren Gatlin heard it, he just completely dismissed that. So, um, no, I think if I, if I was involved in 15s, then ultimately that's something that you'd want to get involved in. But I'm not even on a training paddock with any teams at the moment. So that, that's certainly not on the agenda. All righty.
1: <laughs> Funny how these things work out. What would be some advice, advice you've had then for because we spoke when we first um, started the pod and um, one of the things we want to do is try and actually share a bit of learnings with some young players out there, boys and girls who are picking up the game. Um, What would be some advice you'd give to some youngsters kicking on with the game now, whether it's sevens or fifteens?
3: Yeah, I think it's like attend to your basics um, it is is the golden rule for me as as a for a player that you really get those 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 skill sets as robust as you can get into good habits. Um, don't start to think about anything other. Sorry, I just locked Michelle out and just letting her in. Hold on, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> just on a <the> podcast. <laughs> hi, Michelle.
1: Hi, yeah. hi, Michelle. <laughs>
3: um i haven't taken the washing out either so i'm gonna get in trouble <laughs> oh
1: <wow. laughs> no, we blame us blame us So it's, right,
3: it's um, the same as we had to wait for
1: chip to change a Appy
3: before we started recording so <laughs> uh, so what's so so yeah the all the foundations to get all them as good as you possibly could and not try to chase things too quickly or not try and think uh too far ahead uh and for for coaches it's been like i I remember when I was learning my coaching, I was coaching Newbury, I was coaching St. Edward's Oxford, I was coaching Oxford under 21s. I was coaching Midlands, the schools and and involved England schools and a couple of other and and Oxfordshire County. And I like literally just sub emerged myself in coaching as much as I possibly could. And it didn't really matter about the level. Uh, And I think so many coaches kind of want to have that premiership badge on, even if they're just doing, you know, one hour every month in a CPD or something or um, and I think they just got to get on and, and learn their trade, um, because it is a craft and you get, get, get really blunt really quickly as a coach, if you stop coaching. So that's kind of my general advice. Um, sevens is a tough one though, because like I often get messages from coaches or, or players going, how do I get involved in that? What's the pathway for England sevens? But uh, and, and there ain't one. So it's kind of well referred to the RFU and ask them, but there isn't one. And, and I think that's something in the long-term plan, you you know, that England could do to, to try to, to at least put a proper pathway in place, um, because there's players out there and the game's changing. And I think, you know, sevens players, you know, might be changing as well. You know, no reason why they can't hold down some form of job as well as working, um, playing international sevens if the calendar
0: allows. So there's different things. I've got a suggestion, Ben, if you're, you know, a loose end and looking for a little project, why don't you come down to my club, your old club, Richmond, to assist in, the, in coaching us on our, on our next tilt at the championship? Well, Hilly
3: was, Hilly was my um, forwards coach at Newbury for a year. And then I worked for him at Oxford Junior as well. So I've known Hilly for a long time. So, I was, And they, they've got a brilliant minis and juniors. So I think given the time, I'd quite like to do some, some stuff there and, um, because I started my rugby journey at Bear Richmond. Best best club in the world.
0: Uh, anything else, Mick?
1: No, I just want to milk you for your worth, ban. So I will just say, just to finish off, like you've mentioned a couple of things you've got in the pipeline coming up. We're looking at the second book. We're looking at the film. Um, you're obviously doing a few things in terms of the coaching stuff in rugby. Uh, anything else at the moment? You've got obviously still working with Rugby X. Anything you haven't mentioned that you're excited about? <laughs>
3: Yeah, I'm excited about. It. I'm working for a company called PlayX, um, which you might have seen me do a bit on social media. So they're basically like a money superplace for money supermarket for professional sportsmen and women. So a place that you can go to get best deals, really, because it's not always that easy to get car insurance if you're a professional sportsman, or the right mortgage, or health insurance, or life insurance, or legal advice. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think I'm quite excited about that. I think it's a genuinely valuable tool that both players and smaller agencies can, can use for free. Um, so, so that's, that's cool. And I enjoy doing stuff that's outside sport as well, you know, um, as, as I'm sure we all do, you know, there's lot there's lots, lots of stuff out there. That's really interesting.
1: Yeah. The thing we picked to do outside of sport was a podcast about rugby, about rugby, yeah. <laughs> Oh, Damn, <laughs> Banj,
2: thank you so much for coming on. No I like, really
3: enjoyed it. I've been looking, f- I've been looking forward to it all week. That's top. Yeah, Nort's mentioned messi- Nort's messaged me as well how he's been looking forward to it, and we've hardly mentioned him, so he's just going to be scrolling through it quickly, and we're not going to talk about him at all, which is going to be a disaster for a Strawberry. <laughs> a listen's a listen, Banj. We'll take anything. Yeah, fair enough.
0: Finally. After talking about the man for 13 episodes, he comes on and then Ryan delivers. Yeah, great to chat to him. Some awesome, um,
1: awesome memories, actually, going way back to the beginning for me and you, Chip. But also, like, he's obviously his skill is innovation and forward thinking, you know, disrupting the, the normal way of things. So it was cool hearing some of that firsthand.
2: Yeah, it's good to I'd take a trip down memory lane with him. Um, obviously, Banjo's going to give him my shot straight away from uni. Um, top bloke, thought he spoke really well. Uh, I particularly enjoyed when he was speaking about clarity from coaches. Um, you know, even the little things, like he said, about the week layout, like if some, giving the team the week's layout, like something we brought in recently, probably the last two years we had Simon even write the session out before we go out. And it just does give you a bit of like mental stability for the session and same for the week. Like you can plan where you're going to be or you can say, I won't do this because I'm tired. Like I think that's massive in sport and
1: underestimated at the top level, especially. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because there was part of me that thinks that if you give players everything, there there also needs to be a time when you disrupt that. So when you don't give them what they want. Because then you learn to adapt and you learn to be all right with the unknown, which in sevens we know is massively important because when you go to a tournament, stuff comes out of nowhere, stuff you don't expect, whether that's in game or, or around. So I think the balance of the two is, is really important. But it was it was interesting to hear like we know from hearing about him and reading the book and stuff, how much his kind of philosophy as a coach has changed and probably on life, um, because that that clarity was probably not something that was a massive feature of. Uh, his coaching when he was with, well, from what I remember. Um, and, you know, to hear him be much more at peace with that now is interesting. Um, it's really, it's cool, I guess, just to see him, how he's developed and changed, you know, as we all hope we we do over the years.
2: 100%, like the long old fitness sessions we used to have after a long old rugby session, <laughs> and the fitness sessions you never knew when they were going to end, it was kind of like run to that Run to that bin on the, we were in some Aries pictures, weren't we? Run to the bin, wheelbarrow back, piggyback. It was all random but long. I remember Rob Vickerman. Um, so
1: the- yeah, I remember that session. Rob Vickerman literally couldn't move. He, he went into full body cramp because he refused to put a knee down, like to rest in between. It was awesome. Yeah.
2: No, it was horrible. I, awesome was not the one. We had swimming in the morning as well with Karen Pickering. You
1: remember? I never had it. I came in after that. that was in, she finished oh. at the end of that season. Thought I was gonna die. Was it Ronnie Pickering? Was it finally? Yeah, Ronnie. Ronnie Pickering.
2: <laughs> Do is you that know Angie- who I am? <laughs> sorry,
0: sorry, um, Benzy. Is that interesting for you to be speaking to him so long after he initially coached you, and you can draw parallels with your journeys as players and his development as a coach and a man?
2: Yeah, uh, kind of the last like ten years. Um, it's like I've I've known him for kind of 10 years like for my whole rugby career I've kind of been in touch with him kind of touching baseball at least like once or twice a year just um, so seeing him develop as a coach and a person and me getting a bit older and a bit wiser and being able to identify how he's changed it's, it's, it's really nice like it's that, it's always nice speaking to kind of old friends as well and to see someone so do so well um, and develop and become such a like great coach it's, it's always good to have him on
1: yeah, I think I mean as chippy said you're always very grateful for the coach who gives you your first shot at professional rugby and and on the world series so I think we both really feel that um with him um there've definitely been times over the the years where I've been confused by kind of seeing what he's saying and doing because I'm like oh, hang on that's not how he how he used to do it um but obviously that's the point and you talk about sharing the, that development over the years, Like my point of view on stuff now is way different to what it was 10 years ago or whatever. Um, so yeah, it is cool, but I think I've probably, it's nice to be at a point of
0: maturity. I guess we can really appreciate his journey as well as my own. Mitch, you noticed that Chip lost his bottle there when it came to Rugby X. Oh, episode one came out swinging. Oh, yeah. Rugby X is crap. Get Ben Ryan on. Oh, do you know what? I think, you know, these games is great because it never really works the first time a tournament, but he... there's, uh, there's room for improvement. <laughs> what have I just said? What have I just said about not begrudging someone? Development
1: and a change of heart and a change of thought. <laughs> Honestly, since, since we've
2: been podcasting, I've become way more philosophical and deep. Um, and I've appreciated that... my my initial reaction probably wasn't warranted it was fueled by anger and as Mitch <laughs> said about player welfare at the start I wasn't contracted to be a rugby X player, so I was kind of begrudgingly going. Looking back in the benefit of hindsight, I've identified that rugby X could be used in a in a better way, and that there was teething problems at the start. Joe, is that are you happy with that answer? Are they paying wow. you, Chip?
1: Are they started paying wow. you?
2: <laughs>
0: ah, yes, all about the money. <laughs> 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 the episode where Chippy sold out. Oh, R.I.P. the Northern Honesty. Drop, drop me in, by the way. <laughs> It was good. It was good. He got in touch with us immediately after that that episode. That's what prompted his interest. So yeah. it, was,
2: it was already out there, Chip. You're welcome. That's standard me pulling strings for the podcast. Yeah, again, professional LinkedIn podcast, I love you now.
0: I know. I know, <laughs> I know you're a man of your words. Your word is your bond, Chippy. That's it, boys. Right, that's it from us for another episode in the clouds in seventh heaven. Thank you for joining us. Remember, like us, share us, subscribe to us on whatever platform you're listening to this on. But from all of us in seventh heaven, until next time, it is adios. Certainly. Goodbye.